Good morning, church. God is good. And all the time? Well, about 50% of you are sure of that this morning. God is good. And all the time? We've got to keep saying that as the church, amen? Because there's a world around us that doesn't necessarily believe that. But we know it. It's Christmas. God is good. There you go. <laughs> the few and faithful. Yes. Oh, man, this has been a rich service. You know, as one of your pastors, I am uh, called to help and to encourage you to linger in his presence, to not be in a rush when we're in the presence of God together. You know, you think about it, it's kind of like, and I'm sorry I have to do this, it's kind of like Italian food. There are no fast food Italian restaurants because you're supposed to sit and linger and enjoy the food. When we come to church, we come gathered together, we come to linger in the presence of God. We don't keep looking at our watches saying, when is this over? We say, I hope this never ends, right? By the grace of God. I'm, I got to have faith. I'm a preacher, right? I got to believe. I want to take a second this morning before I preach to ask you to stop and just take it in for a minute because the Spirit has been speaking. The Spirit of God is with us, whether it's through the singing, whether it's through the dedication of Bella or Milani, whether it's the uh, baptism of Amalia or the time in prayer. What is God saying to you this morning? Because we didn't come here for a program. We came here to worship. We came here to be with God. So I'm going to ask this just to bow our heads for a minute and reflect and receive already up to this point what God is wanting to say to your heart this morning. In your word, Lord, it says, be still and know that I'm God. Thank you, Lord, for your sweet, quiet voice that speaks to our very being through baby dedications, through baptisms, through song, through prayer, through giving, and through your word. May we receive today. In your name, amen. Well, it's less than a week before Christmas. And I don't know what kind of chord that strikes in you. Whether it was stress or peace, happiness, anxiousness. It never seems like there's enough time in the week leading up to Christmas. It often seems like we're kind of always a step behind. Here's some tips for you if you want to get a little more time in your week this coming week. You could sleep less. You could eat less. You could not get sick. You could drive fast, although that may be happening already. You could own a car that will maneuver in traffic and doesn't break down. You could wear shorter hair and uncomb long hair, and you could speak faster. That's how to get more time in your week this week. 
if you're looking for it. I don't like to shop very much. The only time I go to the mall is pretty much at Christmas time. And I got to be honest with you, I don't like that very much. <laughs> In fact, when I go to the mall and it's not Christmas time, I go and I go, what is wrong with this mall? There's something missing. And I realize Santa's not there. But the big display is gone, and that's what I see when I go to the mall. And it seems so empty. But we tend to be in a hurry as Americans, especially at the Christmas time. A French historian said this, the American is always in a hurry. You know when he said that? He said that in 1840. What would be said now? The American is at light speed. I'm not sure. I like what Dave Barry writes about Christmas. He said, Once again, we find ourselves enmeshed in the holiday season, that very special time of the year when we join with our loved ones in sharing centuries-old traditions, such as trying to find a parking space at the mall. We traditionally do this in my family by driving around the parking lot until we see a shopper emerge from the mall, and then we follow her. In very much the same spirit as the three wise men who 2,000 years ago followed a star week after week until it led them to a parking space. But Christmas is really about pausing. It's really about a season for stopping, remembering, reflecting, and receiving what this life is really all about. A time for us to behold the one who matters the most to us. A time where our God and our Savior Jesus was born as a babe by the Holy Spirit for you and for me and for the entire world. Matthew invites us to this place in our text for this morning. In Matthew chapter 1, it says this. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And after Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Whoever said the Bible was boring? Look at this story for a second. Really look at it. This story is, is uh, probably something like some of those shows that are on in the middle of the day. I think they call them soap operas. Someone's doing this and that, and someone's doing what they shouldn't be doing. And here is Mary, pregnant. At the ripe old age of maybe around 12 or 13. And she's betrothed to Joseph. And Joseph finds her pregnant. Now just imagine being Joseph for a second. You know that you were not involved in the incident. 
and you find the one you love that you're going to be married to to be pregnant. Now, I believe, and we're going to see that, that Joseph really loved Mary. He was a righteous man, the Scripture says. And so he was torn because, because see, what happened when... It's a little bit different than in our states. They have three different stages when someone gets married uh, back in, in these times. There was the engagement stage. And the couple usually had nothing to do with the engagement stage. The parents or a matchmaker picked who was going to be married to who. And so it was already arranged. And then you got into the betrothal stage, and that is where you, it was almost like you were married, but you weren't married. Legally, everything that uh, pertained to marriage pertained to you now. All the laws applied to marriage, but you weren't fully married. And so if someone in that stage had been unfaithful, it was considered adultery. Mary deserved, according to the law at that time, to be charged for adultery, to be stoned to death. And so Joseph was torn because he was a righteous man and he wanted to uphold the law, but at the same time, he wanted to protect Mary. And so that's why the passage says he wanted to put her away kind of secretly. She would not be disgraced. But it says, the translation says in verse 19 and 20, it says, when he had considered this. Now that word considered is a very nice word. The word there in the Greek is, is made up from a word that actually means this, wrath, fury, anger, rage, a state of intense displeasure based in some real or perceived wrong. Joseph was hurt and upset. He loved Mary. How could she be unfaithful? I really wonder what kind of went through the mind when he heard that it was of the Holy Spirit. Really? Really? But one of my favorite words in Scripture is a conjunction. It's the word but. Let me explain to you why. You have this chaotic, messy situation, and it says, but God came to Joseph to tell him. God is up to something. God is doing something beyond your wildest understandings. Don't be afraid, Joseph. Don't be afraid, but behold the work that God is doing. Stop and look at it. Take it in. God is up to something. Don't worry. Behold. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Behold. When I was 13 years old, I was blessed by a teacher uh, at one of our academies who read us the Chronicles of Narnia. If you've never read the Chronicles of Narnia, they're meant for children, but really they're for adults too. If you've never read them, do yourself the joy of reading them. I get the joy now of reading them with my children. And so we were reading just the other week uh, from the book, The Last Battle. And there's a great scene there in which this situation, the manger, the baby, the stable, is, is kind of brought up. And I love how it's described. It says, He looked around again and could hardly believe his eyes. 
There was the blue sky overhead, the grassy country spreading as far as he could see in every direction, and his new friends all around him laughing. It seems then, said Tyrion, smiling himself, that the stable scene from within and the stable scene from without are two different places. Yes, said the Lord Diggory, its inside, its inside is bigger than its outside. Yes, said Queen Lucy, in our world too, a stable once had something inside that was bigger than our whole world. When Christ the baby came to that stable that night, that little baby was bigger than everything outside the stable. God himself had come in a baby. We need to allow our, ourselves to wrap our minds around this. In Philippians it says, Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in a human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul writes in Colossians, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. This is your God who gave himself for you to leave heaven to come and be in the stable that night. Corinthians says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We need to remind ourselves about our situation if we did not have a Savior. We need to remind ourselves that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of, eternal, of God is eternal life. In Ephesians, my favorite word pops up again. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgress transgressions and sins, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved." For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. But God stepped in and intervened. Apart from the stable, there is no future for you and I. Apart from the love and act of God in coming to this earth, there is no hope for us. But God, this is something to behold to hold and to keep, to have in sight, to see clearly, to look at. Our invitation is also a challenge this Christmas because our lives are moving at such breakneck speed. It's hard to behold something when we're always going. I want to read to you something from one of my favorite authors. It's from a man named Henry Nouwen. And it's a simple book called Making All Things New. Of course, he's written dozens of books. But this is a simple 
yet one of the most profound books on the spiritual life I've found in my journey. Making All Things New, an invitation to the spiritual life. Listen to what he says a little bit. One of the most obvious characteristics of our daily lives is that we are busy. We experience our days as filled with things to do, people to meet, projects to finish, letters to write, calls to make, and appointments to keep. Our lives often seem like overpacked suitcases bursting at the seams. In fact, we're almost always aware of being behind schedule. There is a nagging sense that there are unfinished tasks, unfulfilled promises, unrealized proposals. There's always something else that we should have remembered, done, or said. There are always people we did not speak to, write to, or visit. Thus, although we are very busy, we also have a lingering feeling of never fully, really realizing our obligations and fulfilling them. The strange thing, however, is that it is very hard not to be busy. Being busy has become a status symbol. People expect us to be busy and to have many things on our minds. Often our friends say to us, I guess you're busy as usual, and mean it as a compliment. They reaffirm the general assumption that it is good to be busy. In fact, those who do not know what to do in the near future make their friends nervous. Being busy and being important often seem to mean the same thing. In our production-oriented society, being busy, having an occupation has become one of the main ways, if not the main way, of identifying ourselves. Without an occupation, not just our economic security, but our very identity is endangered. This explains the great fear with which many people face their retirement. After all, who are we when we no longer have an occupation? More enslaving than our occupations, however, are our preoccupations. Listen to this. To be preoccupied means to fill our time and place long before we are even there. This is worrying in the most specific sense of the word. It is a mind filled with ifs. We say to ourselves, what if I get the flu? What if I lose my job? What if my child is not home on time? What if there is not enough food tomorrow? What if I am attacked? What if a war starts? What if the world comes to an end? What if? All these ifs fill our minds with anxious thoughts and make us wonder constantly what to do and what to say in case something should happen in the future. Much, if not most, of our suffering is, concerned, is connected with these preoccupations possible career changes, possible family conflicts, possible illnesses, possible disasters, and a possible nuclear holocaust make us anxious, fearful, suspicious, greedy, nervous, and morose. They prevent us from feeling a real inner freedom. Since we're always preparing for eventualities, we seldom fully trust the moment. It is no exaggeration to say that much human energy is invested in these fearful preoccupations. Our individual as well as communal lives are so deeply molded by our worries about tomorrow that today hardly can be experienced. Our occupations and preoccupations fill our external and internal lives to the brim. They prevent the Spirit of God from breathing freely in us and thus renewing our lives. Are you occupied? Are you preoccupied? We are. We are. The challenge for us this holiday season is to stop and behold God. Stop and gaze at God. This word behold also means gaze. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold and gaze the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. There is nothing else in this life that matters more than to behold God. 
Nothing more than to look at him and to take him in, to receive him. I found some interesting information about life. It, it was something that took uh, what they say is the average life of the mid-70s and said this is about how many hours you spend doing d- different things. On the average, you will spend 21 years sleeping, 14 years working, 7 years in bathroom basics, 6 years eating, 6 years traveling, 5 years waiting in line, 4 years learning, 3 years in meetings, 2 years returning calls, 1 year searching for things lost, 22 months in worship. Eight months opening junk mail. Six months waiting at red lights. The question for us is how many years will we spend beholding God? How many years will we spend gazing at the Almighty? How many years will we spend taking God into our being? That's why He came. That's why He came. He didn't come so that we could just be preoccupied and occupied with so many other things. He came that we would behold him and receive him as our king, as our Lord and our Savior. Christmas, tis the season to gaze and behold. Christmas, it's all about Jesus. It's all about God with us. It's all about beholding him, gazing upon him, letting him be with us in our messes and the things that happen in life. Maybe this holiday season you might find yourself in a bit of a mess. Maybe you find yourself with relational issues, family issues, work issues, financial issues, whatever the issues may be. Let God be there with you. Let God be with you in the mess. In fact, if you really want to look for Christ this Christmas, look in the messy places because you'll find him there. That's his specialty. Why did he come here to earth? Because we're in a mess. The wages of sin is death. We were in a mess, and he came. Look for him. He wants to be there with you. Don't try to hide it from him. He wants to be with you. Behold him in the mess. Taylor Caldwell, author, once said, this is the message of Christmas. We are never alone. Never alone. God will never leave us or forsake us. By him coming to this earth and taking on flesh and bone and dying and being risen again, He has showed his commitment to us. He has showed that he is with us forever. Behold the newborn king. Behold the man, Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sins of the world. Behold your Savior. Behold Emmanuel. He is with you. Come and behold him. Born the king of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Adore him, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, what a gift. The gift to behold you, to receive you, to gaze upon you. Nothing compares to you. Forgive me, Lord, forgive us. When our lives sometimes go like Other things matter more sometimes than you because you showed us how much we matter to you in coming as a child. Thank you for your love, your commitment to us, 
for not leaving us in this mess, but coming to save us, to redeem us, to claim us back to yourself. May we truly be blessed this Christmas season by stopping and beholding you. When we're tempted to think that there are other things that need more priority and more attention, may we stop and remember, but God, but God, but God loves me and is committed to me and has saved me. My future is eternity in the presence of God forever and ever. Thank you, Lord. Would you take a moment in silent prayer now to behold the child, to behold your Savior and your God? I want to invite Amalia up here. And uh, I think, did you get your certificate already? Great. We praise God for your decision for him in your life. And um, God has great things in store for you, Amalia. Walk close with Jesus. And um, we're going to be here with you in that process, in that walk. Merry Christmas, everybody. God has been so gracious to us. I want to encourage you this week to go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the love of the Father, and in the communion of the Holy Spirit. God bless you all. Amen.